Our first reading comes to us from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of his king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she was purifying herself after her period. Then she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the people fared and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, You've just come from a journey. Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah remain in booths. And my lord Joab and the servants of the lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day. On the next day, David invited him to eat and drink in his presence and made him drunk. In the evening, he went out to lie on the couch with his servant of his Lord. But he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him so that he may be struck down and die. This is the word of the Lord. Our second scripture reading comes to us from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, Who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? If it is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are all being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, 
nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we've come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. Friends, sometimes when we look back at our lives, we can find one moment or one individual who had a profound impact on making us who we are. And I remember one such individual from my life, my seventh grade English teacher, Miss Link. I'd had her sister in sixth grade. I got into her class in English class in junior high, and she encouraged my love of reading, encouraged me to be who I am. And then as I finished eighth grade, she took a group of students on a summer trip to Washington, D.C., and I went. And before then, I was a very shy, very withdrawn person. This might be hard for some of you to imagine, maybe not so much for others of you. But it was on that trip that I started to discover who I was, started to come out of my shell, started to become the person that I was to grow to be. And I always looked back and I remembered Miss Link fondly and remembered her subtle words of encouragement and the way she helped me to grow into the person I am. If you fast forward four or five years to my freshman year of college, I remember calling home and I was talking to my mom. And she said, have you heard about Miss Link? I said, no, what about her? She said, she was arrested last week for dealing crack. That was like a shock to my system. I couldn't believe it. Here was this woman who was like a hero to me, who had a profound impact on me. And I don't know if she was dealing in drugs, you know, when I was her student, when she took us to Washington, D.C., or if it's something that that developed in, in recent years. But that was the day that I learned that the people who are heroes aren't perfect, that people make mistakes, that people sin terribly, that we're all fallible. I've heard other stories of people learning of this different ways by meeting celebrities who they really look up to, and those celebrities are a real jerk. But the truth is, our heroes are human. The people we look up to are fallible. And just as we mess up and sin and error, they do the same thing. The most interesting superheroes movies focus on this. Take Iron Man, the the leading man of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In the comic books, Tony Stark is an alcoholic and ends up deeply depressed and abandoning being Iron Man. In the movies, he... uh, is very arrogant, he's so full of himself, and it causes uh, destruction time and again. 
The best uh, superhero movies of the past 15 years are the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. And they deal with Batman as a human dealing with his own inner demons while he still tries to save the day in Gotham. Time and again, we see that our heroes, the people we look up to, are fallible, are human, and make mistakes. A little over a week ago, Heather and I finally got to see Hamilton. And, and I, I love the musical Hamilton. You've heard me talk about it before. I've been listening to the soundtrack for two years. I read and trudged the way through the, the biography that the musical is based on, all 800 pages of dense words. And if you're not familiar with Hamilton's story, he was one of the founding fathers who was really influential, was really up and coming, until he had an affair and was extorted for it. And when this was found out, people thought that he was betraying his country, that he was embezzling funds. He's like, no, no, I'm just being extorted for an affair that I had. And he went public with it, and it destroyed his career. It almost destroyed him as a person. As influential as he was, he made mistakes, he erred, and it brought him down. Martin Luther King Jr. is a huge influence on our country. His words, his actions continue to influence us today. But he was a well-known adulterer and had different women in and out of his hotel rooms as he toured the country working for civil rights. People we look up to are fallible, are human. They make mistakes. So what do we take away from this? First, we take that it's okay that we're human. That when we make mistakes, we should own up to them, but we should remember that we're not alone. I remember when I went to seminary, I was terrified to go to seminary because I had always looked up to the pastors in my life. I'd always thought that they were perfect, that they were the, the image of godly people. I thought I'd go to seminary and everyone would be sitting around the campfire singing kumbaya and I didn't imagine weekly poker games and the occasional kegger. I thought everyone there would be perfect and there's no way I would fit in because I was a fallible person. But we're all fallible. And that's the second thing we take away is that God uses fallible people to reach a fallible world. God uses broken people to reach a broken world. Our first scripture reading today is about King David. David who's lifted up time and again through the scriptures, both old and new. David who was looked to as the ideal king. David who the one that the, the Messiah would come from his lineage. They couldn't wait for the king to return to the house of David. But today's scripture paints David in a not-so-unfavorable light. He sent his soldiers off to war, and one day he's just strolling around on his rooftop of his palace, as kings are wont to do. And he notices a beautiful woman bathing on the roof of the house that his overlooks. And he calls for her, and he seduces her. And he 
we, we are so kind that we very rarely label this as rape. But that's what it is because he had so much power over her that she could not say no. She becomes pregnant and sends word to him, you know, I'm pregnant with your child. So he does what every uh, good upstanding person was, would do. He sends for her husband so that he would lay with her and think that it was his child. But Uriah, her husband, is too honorable. He says, I'm not going to go to my home and live in those comforts while my fellow soldiers are off in the field sleeping in tents. I'm going to sleep at the gate of your house just as the soldiers are sleeping in the fields. So David has a banquet for him and gets him drunk, hopefully then that he'll wander back to his wife. And that doesn't work, so David sends him back to the war, having him carry his own death message, having him carry a very the message that says, send this man to the front of the fighting in the most dangerous part, pull back and abandon him. If he's dead, then David's free to do as he pleases. This is not a king we should look up to. This is a deeply flawed and broken person. I remember many years ago preaching on this passage and asking the congregation, can you imagine something like this happening in politics today? And everyone said, yes. Because we live in a world full of flawed and broken people. But David's not alone. Look at Moses who led the Israelites out of Egypt. He once killed a man in the field. He once tried to turn from God when God tried to send him to free the Israelites. Look at Job the prophet who ran as far away from God as he could before God finally had him swallowed into the belly of a fish to convince him to follow God's ways. Look at the disciples who at one point Jesus said, the only thing I want you to do is stay awake while I go and pray. And they fell asleep. Look at Peter, one of the lead disciples who denied Christ three times on the night that he was arrested. Look at Thomas who doubted Christ had risen from the grave. Look at Paul, who wrote more of the New Testament than any other single person, who before he was Paul was Saul, who arrested, persecuted, and killed Christians. The Bible is full of deeply flawed and broken individuals being used by God to reach a deeply flawed and broken world. And the third thing we take away from this is that in in spite of these flaws, in spite of these brokenness, God still loves us. Our second reading reads that nothing in life nor in death can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. That no matter what we do, it cannot separate us from God's love. No matter how agrariously we stray, how much we sin, how broken we are, God still loves us and is ready to forgive us. And that should give us hope. That should fill us with awe. That no matter how much we disappoint God, 
no matter how much we let God down, God still loves us. Remember the prodigal son who so harmed his father, who hurt his father so much, said, I wish you were dead. Give me half your my inheritance and went off to strange lands to blow it on just frivolous things. When the father saw the son returning in the field, he didn't just wait for him to get there, but he ran out to embrace him. God is waiting to embrace us. Peter denied Christ. And Jesus said, you are the rock on which I will build my church. Thomas said that unless I see the very wounds in his hands and the wound in his side, I will not believe. And Jesus said, here, touch my wounds, touch my side. And Thomas fell saying, my Lord and my Savior. It doesn't make sense that no matter what we do, we still have value to God. I know there are people in my lives, and I'm sure that some of you have people in your lives that have harmed you so heinously that you've just said, I've had enough, and you cut off contact, that you figure that person is too toxic, that you just can't be around them anymore, that you can't continue a relationship with them. But God will never do that to us. And while it's confusing, I thought about one way to express that. I have a brand new, crisp $100 bill. Who would like it? I saw one hand, really? The offering should be great today. If, uh, if no, oh, no, just, just $100. <laughs> No, who, who would like this $100 bill? Who would be thrilled if I gave it to you? All right. What about now? Anyone still want it? All right. How about now? What about now? Yeah, you still want it because it still has value. Even though it's been crumpled up, stomped on, torn, I could blow my nose in it, I could do whatever. It's still worth, uh, I'm not going to, but it's still worth $100. It still has the same value. God created us in God's image. And no matter what happens to us, no matter what we do, we still have that value to God. No matter if we get crumpled up, stomped on, nose blown on us, torn, broken. God still loves us. And God's still waiting for us to say, I'm sorry, I messed up. God will say, I forgive you. I love you. We aren't expected to be perfect. There's only one perfect person and it's him that we emulate, Jesus Christ. I remember when I was in high school, for a short time, the administration decided it would be fun that during morning announcements to have a student say an inspirational quote each day. And this went great until the class clown drew his turn. And he got up there and he got on the speaker for the whole school to hear and said, practice makes perfect. But nobody's perfect, so why practice? And that was the last time we had an inspirational quote to start the morning. 
But we're not perfect. We will never be perfect. We will fall short of God's glory. We will hurt others. We will hurt God, some more than others. But God still loves us. God still has value in us. God still created us in God's image. As I'm sure you all heard that yesterday, John McCain passed away. And when asked how he wanted to be remembered, he said he wants to be remembered as he served his country. Not always right. Made a lot of mistakes, made a lot of errors, but he served his country, and I hope you can add honorably. I think that's beautiful. Friends, we are called to serve God. We are called to live out God's will in our lives. And we aren't always going to do it perfectly. We're going to make some mistakes. We aren't always going to be right. But when we fall short, we know that we're not alone. But even more powerfully, we know that we have a God that loves us anyway. A God that knows us, our flaws and everything, and loves us no matter what. That nothing in life or in death, in heavens or on earth, can separate us from that love. And that when we turn to God and ask forgiveness, God is there waiting to run and greet us in the fields and to wrap God's loving arms around us and say, it's okay. I forgive you. I love you. You are my beloved child. Amen. Friends, let us now rise.